Welcome to another edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Associate Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. On this edition of the podcast, we're speaking with Professor Vin Von Ventry from right here at Albany Law School. We're talking mostly about his horse and, you know, what he does in the spring with his wife and bird. What? No, actually, we're talking about the chief judge situation here in New York about the second round that we're going through to try and get a new executive of that branch. And let me tell you, Professor Bon Ventry is one of the most well-read, well-reasoned, and well-researched scholars that we have here on campus and maybe in throughout the state to talk about this situation. So we'll get to him in just a second. Reminders, we do them at the top of every single show. If you like what you hear on this one, you want to hear more from our faculty and students, make sure to subscribe on any of the major podcast services or check out our SoundCloud account. And then if you want to stay up to date on a day-to-day with everything happening here at Albany Law, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. All right, let's talk to Professor Back here on the Albany Law School podcast with a friend of the podcast, to say the least, the inspiration for Joe Pesci in many (laughs) movies, not just my cousin Vinny, but all the Joe Pesci roles, I'm sure. Professor Vin Bonventry, how are you doing today? Hey, just great. God, it's been just a wonderful and wonderfully busy semester. <laughs> and it, it's only gotten busier, it seems, since, since well, we're going to be talking about the chief judge stuff, and that started back for well, Thanksgiving, oh, and you've been working I mean, on it ever since. I know. Oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> how do we get ourselves into that? Although it's so darn enjoyable, you know. <laughs> I don't even think it's work. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell don't tell the dean that when she's ready to set my salary. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess we're, let's start let's start with a little bit of an easy one. We we're talking about the the second semester here. How we're just all got so many things going on. Just how's it been going from the faculty point of view this uh, this spring semester? It's kind of we've just gotten past midterms for most classes. Right. How's it been going for you so far? Well, you know, I'm teaching constitutional law criminal law, my court of appeals seminar. I mean, really, what could be better? You know, advising the students on the law review. I just went to Buffalo with my criminal law moot court team. You know, I oversee what my students are doing at the Center for Judicial Process, International Law Studies. Busy as can be, but like I said, just loving every single bit of it. I'm so lucky. And before we start talking chief judge stuff, I'm always interested to hear why people chose to come to Albany Law School. And then for some of us who have been here for a couple of years, why'd they stay? So why Albany Law and why are you still here? Sure. Well, you know, I grew up in New York City in Brooklyn and then in Queens. But when I was really young, you know, by the time I was about three or four, uh, my father wanted to get away for the holidays. And so uh, he would take all of us up to the uh, Catskills for the Christmas break. And we were on some farm, Ferk's farm in the Catskills. And geez, you know, there were animals there. There were horses there. There was 
you know, there was the farm there. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. And from for a city kid, man, that's upstate New York. So I always had this vision of upstate New York as God's country. And then when I was in law school, I actually came up to Albany Law School to do a moot court competition. I said, man, I love this place. It's beautiful. And then I even said to myself, man, I'd really like to work here someday. And then a long, long story short, I'm clerking at the Court of Appeals. One of the uh, professors who was on the recruitment committee reached out to me. And the next thing you knew, in a few weeks, I was hired by the dean uh, at the time. And uh, my whole family's reaction was, you have wanted to teach at that law school since as long ago as we can remember. Well, that was 34 years ago, and I'm still here, Ben. Well, we hope you're not planning on going anywhere. We hope you're sticking around. <laughs> hey, I'm not going anywhere except maybe the urn, but... <laughs> oh, oh, man. When that time comes, that, that'll be soon enough to ever leave Albany Law School. <laughs> we talk to, to students all the time on the show. We talk to alumni a lot on the show about what it was like to be a student here, what it's like to be in the sitting in the classroom listening to a faculty member or sitting in the library working on something from a faculty member. Let's, let's hear from the other side, though. What's it like being a faculty member? Are you twiddling your thumbs in your office all day or stroking your chin, wondering how to next stump the students or are you writing up exams? What's, what's, what's a faculty member do all the time? Well, of course, the bane of our existence is putting together exams and then grading them. <laughs> but, you know, most of the time uh, when I'm in the building, you know, I'm with students. I mean, I'm in the classroom. I always teach an overload and, um, you know, recently I've spoken with the dean, the academic dean and the real dean about what I want to do in the future. And I don't want to give up my overload. There were just so many courses I love to teach. And I love the students. The students here are really nice. I'm sure you've heard that from plenty of the faculty members. Um, you know, the students, I don't know if it's our admissions staff or I don't know it's if it's who actually applies to the law school or, or if it's the milieu once they get here. But our students are really nice. They get along well. Um, I love spending time with the students, you know, advising them. Or like I said, on the moot court or with my little, uh, little you know, websites, the Center and the International Law Studies. The students here are just great. And, you know, my wife actually just filled in for me on Friday in criminal law class. And she came back and she said, man, I love those students. They were so great. They were so nice. They were so engaged. They were so respectful. Yeah. So students here are great. Yeah, I'm not the first one to tell you that, Ben. That's yeah, true. Students here are great. All right. Let's get, let's get to the, the subject matter at hand here. Yeah. Now, I know that uh, there's so many different, we're not going to be able to cover it. I think we're probably going to talk for maybe 15, 20 more minutes, maybe, yeah. and we'll touch maybe one hundredth of one percent of right. what's actually right. going on. Right. Well, let's, okay, so let's start. As we're recording, it is April 4th, so beginning of April here in New York State. For those who don't know, we have a pretty big job opening in the state. 
(laughs) (laughs) So let's set some context up for, for listeners out there. Okay. What is the chief judge? Who is the chief judge? What, what are the responsibilities? How long do they serve? Just what are the logistics of the position that we're talking about? Well, the chief judge in New York is not only the presiding judge of our highest court, the New York Court of Appeals, which is one of the great courts in the country, oftentimes the best court in the country, Um, but also the chief judge is the chief executive officer of our judicial branch. And we have an enormous judicial branch, so many courts, so many judges, uh, so many cases. I mean, millions upon millions of cases in this state, you know, and they ultimately get filtered up to the New York Court of Appeals. But the chief judge is the chief executive officer of the whole shebang. And historically, we've actually had great chief judges. Some of our chief judges are recognized as some of the great judges in the history of this country. You know, Benjamin Cardozo, who by and large established you know, the foundations of so many areas of law throughout the country. You know, Irving Lehman, who made it clear when he was chief judge, look, the role of the New York Court of Appeals and by inference, state Supreme Courts around the country is to apply their own constitutions in order to protect civil rights and civil liberties, even when the United States Supreme Court doesn't do that. And as you know, Ben, that's very, very important today. Finally, some judges and some lawyers and academics are waking up to the fact that, you know, state courts actually have the authority under our system to protect civil rights and civil liberties more than the United States Supreme Court. You know, of course, Chief Judge Kay, who was admired around the entire country. Uh, Recent Chief Judge Jonathan Littman, who was incredibly bold. And Chief Justices from around the country used to volunteer to me. Boy, we're all watching the Court of Appeals again, like it used to be under Benjamin Cardozo, because this Jonathan Littman is so bold. So, We've really had a storied history in New York of our chief judges and of our Court of Appeals as well. Now let's zoom in a little bit to get the context of kind of the moment. So how did we get into the current situation we are? I know there was a retirement, but can you just set kind of the stage of maybe the last two years or so of how we came from having a chief judge who was in place and things were getting done to now where we're kind of in this nebulous situation. Sure. For whatever reason, the uh, most immediately preceding chief judge, uh, Janet DeFiore, left at the end of six years. I mean, there's all kinds of rumors as to why she she left, but who, who really knows? So she left at the end of six years instead of Uh, remaining until she turned 70, which, as you know, is this moronic rule we have in New York that our highest judges must leave office when they turn 70. She didn't wait for them. She left after six years again for whatever reason. And so what then happened was the judges within the court selected an acting chief. And there's a lot of mystery around that. How the heck they chose this acting chief? who turns out to be 
one of the more junior judges on the court instead of the most senior judge, which should would have been Judge Jenny Rivera or one of the more senior judges, you know, other than now acting chief judge Anthony Conataro. So he's now the acting chief. But that's not a permanent position. A permanent position on the Court of Appeals is filled whenever there is a vacancy by this judicial nominating commission. It's a member of 12, four appointed by the chief judge, four appointed by the governor, four appointed by the legislature. And they're supposed to come up with a list for the governor of seven individuals who are well qualified, highly qualified to be on the Court of Appeals, or in this instance, to be the chief judge. They came up with a list a few months ago. They came up with a list of seven. Governor Hochul picked from that list uh, Hector LaSalle, who was the presiding justice of our intermediate appellate court that happens to sit in in Brooklyn, the second department. Well, the uh, more liberal Democratic senators in the state did not like that choice, did not like that choice. Um, there were reasons they gave. Some of them seemed to really be nonsensical. But what we can gather is that they didn't think that uh, Judge LaSalle was liberal enough, progressive enough, that is, protective enough of the rights of the accused, of consumers and of workers. And the senators really believed that the court had been so conservative, so uh, backward looking um, the last several years that the direction of the court really needed to be changed and therefore uh, the court should be led by a much more progressive chief judge than Hector LaSalle or, of course, than Janet DeFiori was. And uh, so Hector LaSalle was rejected by the Senate the nominating commission, in very quick order, came up with another list of seven. And you know, Ben, among the fascinating aspects of all this was that um, several of the individuals on this new list apparently became qualified to be <laughs> chief judge over the last several weeks, you know. So... There's five new names on the list who apparently weren't qualified to be chief judge the first time around. <laughs> and, and just in the, the interest of full disclosure here for everybody listening at home, Albany Law School is very intertwined with both the current lists of people that have been chosen. Yes. Judge DeFiori was a commencement speaker with us a couple of yes. years ago. Um, you know, our own president and dean, Alicia Ouellette was on that first list of seven yep. and went through the entire process. She wasn't chosen to go before the Senate, but she was on that list. On the current list, we have two alums. We have yes. Judge Gary from the third department. We have Judge Troutman, who yes. is our, she just became part of the Court of Appeals in the past, well, was last winter. Yes. So, um, you know, just to get the full disclosure out there, we're not endorsing nor analyzing anyone that might be involved with all the law school. These are just facts that are in the world. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, Ben, I, I get in trouble enough for some of the comments that, that I make. But uh, 
you know, and that's one of the nice things about tenure. I get to be honest. I could be dead <laughs> wrong, but I get to be honest and I get to be frank. Hallelujah for tenure and academic freedom. But, you know, you mentioned uh, Elizabeth Gary, who's the presiding justice of the Intermediate Appellate Court, the third department, which sits in Albany. She is really a fine judge. And not only that, she's a great administrator, right? So she kind of fills the two most important bills in being chief judge. She would be terrific. And, and again, uh, just to just to set some more context for people who might be listening out of state, the third department is like, isn't that like the size of like Delaware? It like it goes <laughs> like from it's huge. Plattsburgh and every all points north all the way to past the south and all the yeah, way. And it goes from the Vermont border all the way almost up to Syracuse, right? It's an it's enormous huge. amount of space. It's really huge. And uh, so she's the presiding justice, which means that not only has she heard and voted in hundreds and hundreds of cases, but she's also had to manage administratively that department, that appellate court. So she's obviously extremely well qualified. She didn't make the first list. Who knows? I mean, who knows what goes on in the minds of people? But uh, the other, and Shirley Troutman, I have to say, I was just in Buffalo and I was speaking you know, one-on-one -on -one, privately with a recently retired court of appeals judge. And he was gushing about her. You know, she's from the Buffalo area. He was gushing about her, telling me what a great chief judge she would be, that she's very, very well respected when she was on the fourth department, which sits in Rochester. Very, very well respected. People really like her. She's really good at administering uh, matters. So, I mean, he just thought she would be the greatest. So our two alums, uh, uh, Judge Gary and Judge uh, uh, Troutman, boy, it would be great. They could be really great chief judges. They could be and, great. And just one more disclaimer, the current head of our Government Law Center, Judge Stein, is yes. a former Court of Appeals judge as well. So there is a lot of, a lot of connection between the law school and and the big the big court and we the third department was just here a couple of weeks ago or last week uh, yeah. hearing cases judge gary was sitting in court here at Albany yeah. law school just last week so yeah. and in me, fact you know ben you, you know uh when uh judith k was the chief judge she brought the entire court to albany <laughs> law school for one of our symposium well actually for two of them <laughs> um, Jonathan Lipman, the same thing. Janet DeFiore. So, you know, we we even bring the entire Court of Appeals here, <laughs> you know. And then uh, one of them with Jonathan Lipman was named the uh, the untold secrets of Eagle Street. <laughs> Eagle Street is where the court is, you know. And so they were all supposed to give us the inside scoop. <laughs> about what really happens at the court. So these symposia were great, and we've had a great relationship with the Court of Appeals at Albany Law School. So, Professor Von Ventry, you, you follow the court, not just New York courts, but court of, not just New York Court of Appeals, excuse me, but different levels of courts, the Supreme Court of the United States. Let, yes. Let's just do just a, maybe a little bit of handicapping here on the current list. Who... Who is kind of the, the, the favorite or makes the most sense? Who 
maybe is a longer shot. What do you think about the current? I mean, we talked about Judge Gary and Judge yeah. Troutman. Selfishly, yeah. of course, as Albany Law School, we think they are just from their education alone are exceptionally <laughs> qualified. <laughs> they have the best education of all of them. But, but both know, are really highly qualified. They would both really be fine chief judges. Now, um, I think to put this in context, remember, uh, the last several years at the Court of Appeals uh, have been very disappointing. I mean, what, what can we say? I mean, there's no way to gloss over that. Very disappointing. The court has not been anywhere near as protective of civil rights, civil liberties, the rights of the accused, the rights of workers, consumers, the whole works. I mean, it just has not been. It's really been pulling its punches. It's really been backing up. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, there are many who are very, very upset with that. I know lawyers are upset because it's hard for them to get their cases there. The court hardly hears any cases anymore. Even just a couple of years ago, a few years ago, it was like 250 a year. Now they're lucky if they hear 80 or 90. So they're they're not even granting appeals to come there. So it's been pretty disappointing. So, you know, the Senate and the governor, I mean, the governor said she wants to return the Court of Appeals to the prestige it once enjoyed. That sounds to me like she knows darn well that the Court of Appeals reputation has really plummeted the last several years. So do you want to bring the Court of Appeals back up so that it's as influential as it traditionally has been, as it's understood to be as great a court as historically it has been? Well, then perhaps you need to make some really big, big choices. And I can tell you that there are a few on the list that would do exactly that. Um, one of them is Rowan Wilson. Rowan Wilson, um, and I think the Senate would love him and he'd sail right through. Uh, the last several years, he's been a constant dissenter on the court, disagreeing with all those very, very disappointing decisions of the court, whether it has to do with wrongful convictions whether it has to do with search and seizure, whether it has to do with individuals who are suing the state because they were injured. Um, but uh, he would sail through and he would, you know, I mean, he's absolutely brilliant. I mean, by all accounts, agree with him or not, the man is absolutely brilliant. Um, also on the list is Caitlin Halligan, who is the Solicitor General of New York State. Uh, again, another one that's brilliant. She's argued numerous cases before the United States Supreme Court, where she clerked. She's argued numerous cases before the New York Court of Appeals. She as well, she put on the, on the court. Um, boy, would that elevate the prestige of the court, I think, automatically. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, if Hochul, if Governor Hochul actually chooses someone that's currently on the court, say, um, Judge Gary, Judge Troutman, Judge Wilson, that then creates a vacancy on the court. And then she gets to put somebody else on the court. So, um, you know, so that, that would be a big deal. Yeah. So let me, okay. So those are some, some solutions to the problem. Let me, let me push the problem a little bit further and see what your reaction is. Let's say none of this works out again. And we got to do we just keep going around on the merry-go-round until somebody ends up in the chief role? Yeah. 
that's that's what happens if the Senate were to reject uh, the governor's nominee. Then, according to the law, that creates a vacancy, and the judicial nominating commission starts all over again. Um, so, uh, I don't think so. I think the governor this time is going to be a little more politic than she was the first time around. And I think she's going to speak to the senators to make sure whoever it is that she nominates, whether that nominee is their favorite or at least somebody who the Senate will approve. And uh, I, I think all that schmoozing is already in the works because we hear from the senators that they think this process is going to work a heck of a lot better uh, than the last one. But, you know, Hochul, if Hochul is really serious about turning the court around and making it the great court again that it usually has been, she certainly has the opportunity to do that. I know you got to run to some, some other appointments here, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep moving on. Okay. One thing I did want to touch on, though, and if somebody is interested in what we're talking about here or some more analysis on these kind of things, you also maintain the Center for Judicial Process. And you can check in the, the show notes for this episode for a link to that. And just wanted to ask how that's been going. I know that's a, a student uh, venture along with yourself. I saw Patty uh, Whalen had a, had a piece on there. She was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Patty Whalen is amazing. Yeah. And just how it's been going. How's, how's the, the center for judicial process? Well, it's great. You know, th- this was something I started, geez, it might be 10, 15 years ago by now. And it was supposed to be a venue, independent, you know, nonpartisan to publish research works primarily by our students. You know, and I always have a staff of students, an editorial board. And Patty, Patty Whalen happens to be um, our editor-in-chief this year. You know, um, uh, Dina Benedetto, Anthony Gennori, uh, Kelly Kroll, and uh, Sarah Madani are the other ones. And, you know, Patty, we just published a piece by Patty Whalen on you know, judicial deference to the other branches of government at the Court of Appeals. Previous to that, you know, one of our great recent graduates, Olivia Harvey, won on wrongful convictions. You know, before that, we had a great student, Claire Stratton. Uh, She's still at the school and she, you know, wrote a piece on a recently retired Court of Appeals judge, from Buffalo, Eugene Fahey. I mean, the students are just doing great work. And, you know, if they do these great research papers, there ought to be a venue for them to go public. And so uh, that's what we provide with the Center for Judicial Process. Since we're talking about students here, what are you looking forward to most the rest of this academic year? At what, you know, like, it's, like we've said, we're recording here beginning of April. So there's really like about six, seven, maybe eight weeks left of this semester. What are you looking I don't forward think to? There's, <laughs> <is> that <laughs> Whatever it is. I mean, four or five. I think it's more like four or five weeks. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be four or five days for the know, pace no. we're going. You know, the way you are, the what you say, I'm going to be showing up in class and nobody's going to be there because the semester is over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you what I'm not looking forward to. I'm, I'm really not looking forward to the end of the semester because I will miss my students terribly. That really is true. I will miss them terribly. 
you know. Um, and the other thing, of course, I'm not looking forward to grading the exams. You know, that's the that's the worst part of the job. That's the only part of the job where I feel, oh, this is real work because the other stuff is just great. I mean, how do you get a job like this, working with these great <laughs> students, teaching them stuff that's so important that you're so fascinated with yourself, right? So, yeah. Well, so, as a former English teacher, I can I can attest to the the reading of the final papers and how oh. many hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, one thing that doesn't take too long, hopefully, is the lightning round here in the Albany Law okay. School podcast. You ready for the lightning round? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Now, you said that upstate New York is God's country, and as oh, a yeah. son of upstate New York, of course, I agree with you on this. <laughs> But if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Oh, well, let me put it this. I would break the year into three parts. I would live in Albany for a third. And I don't care what season it is, any season. I would live in the Arizona desert for a third of the year. And again, I wouldn't care when. And I would live a third of the year in Rome, Italy. I mean, really, I mean. Could any human being be so lucky? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to go and va- my dad's working out in Hawaii. I got to go to vacation in Hawaii. And that was, that was, it's, it's making a run at the crown. I can tell oh, you. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite part of the spring in here, here in upstate New York? Uh, by, despite contrary to popular opinion, the, the spring is coming. It will be here someday. <laughs> Um, but what do you look forward to most about spring up here? Well, now and most recently, to tell you the truth, I look forward to the birds. I mean, who would know? All of a sudden, I'm bird crazy. And that's because my wife loves birds. My wife is all about birding. You know, she sets up the bird feeders. And where we live in Albany, um, right atop the Norman's Kill, oh, Lord, it's like a preserve there. <laughs> the different birds. And my hey. Vin, come on over. Here's a junco. Hey, Vin, here's a red-winged blackbird. Hey, Vin, there's this kind of woodpecker, which is not to be confused with this other kind of woodpecker. So (laughs) it absolutely is fascinating. And, you know, interestingly, I think it was the New York Times, the AARP magazine. Yeah, I'm old enough, more than old enough. (laughs) And several others are talking about all the psychological and physical health benefits of birds. Apparently, people are much healthier when there are a lot of birds around. Well, we got loads of birds in our backyard. Well, I could, as somebody who lives out on the western frontier, as they call it, in mighty Amsterdam, New York, we have the yeah. river right there. Oh, yeah. And we beautiful. got the bald eagles. We have, oh, we have beautiful. Uh, dozens of them. They're just there. And it, it is like you see them on like the documentaries. They do soar and they do snap stuff out of the water. It's pretty incredible. To tell you the truth, on the Amtrak train coming from Buffalo this past weekend, I saw them, and the conductor pointed them out to us. Yeah, yeah you see, I drive in it at least uh, once a month when I'm driving in on the highway. Yeah. You'll see one. I, I guess, and then they might answer our favorite question in the lightning round, which is the last question of the lightning round itself: is what's your favorite animal? Is it birds, or is it something else? Um, well, it would have to be one of my pets, you know, would have okay, to be. fair enough. And I could pick so many of them, but I think Frog. Frog was my horse. You know, when I was stationed at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, which is the intelligence center, I was, I was stationed out there, and that's an old cavalry post. 
So, uh, you know, I, I bought a horse, um, Frog, and he was called Frog because he was crazy. Nobody could ride him. Well, of course, I was this... <laughs> I was this wise guy from Brooklyn, so this the sergeants would put me on frog. And I ended up being able to ride him. So I bought him. And, uh, and you know, for a few years, I rode him all the time. Then when I left, then when I left, I gave him to this, uh, this older woman who owned a ranch outside of the post. And this, this is a story that, oh my, it's absolutely true. But two or three years later, I took a trip out there, found the ranch, the woman's ranch. And I saw him, called him over, literally put his head on my shoulder, <laughs> put his head. And of course I kissed the horse and then I jumped over the fence and he let me ride him bareback. It was great. It was so great. Yeah. So I would say frog, my horse. Yeah. My wife's a rider and she has yeah. one as well. His name's Andy. He's yeah. a, he's a registered paint. So we know the we know the affinity for sure. Last question on the podcast. Always the same question. You've heard the question before, but we always appreciate the insight from all the different people we have on the show. Is there anything you'd like to say to the Albany Law School community? Yeah, you know, um, and I think this is really a big difference between Albany Law School and other law schools. We're more like a liberal arts college. We're more like an educational community instead of, you know, some stodgy uh, professional institution. And uh, the whole atmosphere of the school, you know, the relations between the students themselves and the students and the faculty, it really can't, it just really can't be beat. Um, you know, I, mean, I don't know how many times I have to tell you. I mean, I love being at this school, working with the students so much. I don't know why they bother paying me. <laughs> and again, you can't tell the dean or the trustees. I'll make sure. We, we do have post-production <laughs> capability. So we'll... we'll you got to bleep it if do. they ever hear it. Yeah. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Professor Von Ventry, I know you have a lot of other things to do today. Appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate the insight into you know, what's going on. And there's so much going on. Maybe ne- maybe in a couple of weeks when we have an answer, we'll bring you back up. Oh, yeah. And do a little That'd be great. Analysis for us. Hey, anytime, Ben. Thank you so much for inviting me.